Well, let me say welcome again. My name is Rob, and I am a pastor here. We're glad that you're with us this morning. We're glad that you once again navigated the ever-changing landscape of Capital Press Fairfax. Uh, Austin forgot to announce that next Sunday we're going to have a Sunday school class on triage and medical healthcare administration that we'd love for you to join us at. Um, you know, I got an email yesterday saying, hey, they're going to be lining up outside uh, your space, just a heads up. So I got on the horn with uh, Jeff Bogan and Christy Danner, worship directors, and said, hey, I need drums, I need bass, I need electric guitar, like whatever you got. I didn't really do that. Um, God had that planned for us already. Um, we are continuing on in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, it's one of my wife's favorite books. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, almost 20 years ago now, we had just gotten married and we had moved to South Africa to work with university students there. And when we landed there, the book of Acts was one of the first things that we studied. And so when I'm in the book of Acts, it reminds me of uh, those initial years of marriage, our initial years of ministry together. And I would contend that um, the book of Acts speaks loud and clear to us now in 2021. Right, and among weeks that feel like they bear a real significant importance, uh, as we try to be believers here in the midst uh, of a pandemic uh, and challenges in our culture, uh, I will say this: uh, something I'm thankful for that um, God has used even our signs and our presence here over the past weeks uh, to to reach people. To people saw them here that work at the hospital, told their family about them. They called us with some real needs they had, and we were able to meet those needs. So God is at work. The church is moving forward, just like we read about and read about here in Acts. So we're Acts 3 and 4 today. We've been 1 and 2 the past uh, weeks. We're not going to read all of 3 and 4. I would encourage you to do that when you get home this afternoon or this evening. This morning, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 3, and then we'll pick up in chapter 4 and read uh, from verse 13 to verse 22. So if you have your Bible, open it up. If you got it on your phone, click, scroll, find your way there. Let's read the Word of God. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now starting in chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, friends. Heavenly Father, we um, are here. It's around the third week of January, and some of us are very weary. Some of us are still eager and excited about the year ahead. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are angry. But all of us need to see Jesus this morning. And so we pray you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, help us to listen and hear uh, save us from distraction by your spirit and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Expectations. All right, if you've ever been part of an organization, if you've ever operated in the business sphere, uh, if you're a teacher or a parent, you know how important it is to, to deal with expectations. Right? Whether it's volunteers and what they can expect from uh, you or you can expect from them, uh, whether it's your shareholders and their expectations around the profit for this year ahead, uh, whether it's kids in your classroom or your child's birthday party, like knowing how to raise or lower or adjust expectations in any way, we know that that can be important. And when we come to a book like the book of Acts, it can be helpful because it can help us with our expectations. All right, like if you're new and you're investigating Christianity, some of what you can expect is made clear here in the book of Acts. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a good number of years, and maybe you find yourself disillusioned or discouraged. Could it be that because uh, it's because maybe when it comes to our expectations of ourselves or our expectations of others, either inside the church or outside of the church, or maybe even our expectations of God, maybe they've drifted from what's made clear in here. Now, I'm not saying that like all of our discouragements and disillusionment comes from wrong expectations, but I can honestly say for a good part of my life, many of them have come from just expecting the wrong kinds of things. So this morning, we're going to look at the book of Acts, these chapters uh, and verses, and we're going to recalibrate or we're going to orient our expectations around the power of Jesus and the boldness of believers. It's those two things we're talking about this morning, the power of Jesus and the boldness of believers. Last week we were in chapter two, all right, and we got this summary of like, this is what the church looks like. This new church, this new body of believers, they are participating in worship and community and mission and signs and wonders are happening among them. We start chapter three and Luke, the historian, gives us an example of one of those signs and wonders. He sets the scene for us, right? It's the uh, city of Jerusalem. Evening is coming, right? Sun is setting. It's around three. It's the, it's the hour of 
prayer, all right, people are making their way to the evening worship service, in essence. They're, they're going through a particular entrance, just like eventually you found whatever entrance you found here and got yelled at at whoever, get in line at whatever line that you have. Like, they're going through a particular entrance. It's called the beautiful gate, all right? They're making their way through this entrance to the worship service. And at the same time Peter and John are doing this, another individual who, who can't walk is being brought to, they're going to set him at this same gate. We're told that since birth he hasn't been able to walk. This isn't because of an injury. This is congenital. Like, uh, everyone who's known him for all 40 years of his life known, hey, that guy, he can't walk. And maybe the best thing for him to do is just set up shop here outside the gate and receive some, you know, charity. So there they are. They're making their way through the gate. Um, the beggar asks for some alms. Uh, Peter and John make eye contact with him, look at him. And, like, at this point, I'm imagining the beggar thinks, hey, this, this is going pretty good, right? Like, someone has acknowledged me. That's a win, right? Not only have they acknowledged me, but they're like engaging with me. They're speaking with me. This is about as good as it gets. He's got to be thinking. But then things take an unexpected turn, right? Because Peter, Peter says uh, his words to him of, hey, I have no silver or gold. You've got to imagine that the beggar's like, wait, what? Like, what do you think we're doing here? Right? Like, do you think I'm sitting on the ground at the temple, like, taking attendance? What do you mean? Like, you have no silver or gold. Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And he, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I love it. Like, there's no time for this guy to respond, right? Peter, in typical Peter fashion, just grabs the dude's arms and yanks him up, all right? Like, we're not going to talk about this. He just grabs him pulls him up, and we're told that healing comes and joy, uh, celebration. He, he's running and leaping around. And then all of a sudden, everybody that was going into evening worship service is like, wait a second, that's that guy that couldn't walk, right? Like that's the guy that for all these years has been posted up at that entrance. What in the world is going on? So a few observations for us at this point in the story. Um, number one, notice uh, Peter and John um, give attention to someone that many in the world would have overlooked or walked right by, right? The marginalized, uh, the outcast, they give attention. David spoke last week about how, how the early church, these early Christians, were known for their generous and compassionate care, right? Even Roman emperors were like, hey, wait a second. They're doing a better job of taking care of our people than we are. And here we see an example of it. Someone marginalized, someone that's an outcast. Peter and John see him and say, hey, we're going to deal with this. We're going to address this and speak to this. That's something that Christians should be known for. Even when we come to Sanctity of Life Sunday, right? I loved Kim's words. Um, as a church and as believers, we believe that abortion is wrong because it takes the life of an image bearer. And as Christians, we speak up and defend and provide for those that cannot speak up and defend and provide for themselves, right? Whether they're inside the womb or on the street corner or at the temple gate, that's what we do. And we make it clear every time we speak of this topic, too, that there is mercy and grace enough in Christ for any woman who's had an abortion or any man who's pressured a woman to have an abortion. Um, you can come to Christ for healing and hope and mercy. We go back to our 
text, we see that they've come to the gate. They've come and uh, engaged with this lame man that, that, that could not walk. And then what do we see? What happens next? Um, Peter gives him what he has. All right. Peter says, hey, I don't have silver or gold. All right, but I'm going to give you what I have, and what I have is the power of Jesus that brings healing and joy and wonder. Right? We know Peter has Jesus because we've read Luke's other account of the, the, the gospel of Christ and his ministry. We know Peter has Jesus. Even if we read at the beginning of Acts, the Holy Spirit has come to Peter, so he's got the spirit of Jesus in him, and he's able, once he's received the power of Jesus, to extend the power of Jesus. He gives what he has. It's worth saying you can't give what you don't have. All right, so he gives the power of Jesus. And I think while we're talking about power and while we're talking about Jesus, we referenced this last week, but we'll just make it clear again this week. Um, the power of Jesus doesn't look like an assault on the Capitol. It doesn't look like damaging property or assaulting individuals. As Christians, we remember that our Savior rose to power by going outside of the city and climbing a hill with a cross on his back and dying for his enemies, praying for them all the while. That's what the power of Jesus looks like that brings healing in life. And that's what we see Peter give. So the question for us this morning, question for you and me, have we encountered this power of Jesus? Have you encountered the power of Jesus? Maybe for the first time or have you encountered it recently? Are you continually encountering this power? Uh, I'm not saying have you been uh, miraculously physically healed. It's worth remembering, though, that we all um, were spiritually lame. Actually, we were all spiritually dead, right? And Jesus came and his power made us alive. That's the power that you need to experience. Um, a couple other observations about this interaction. Um, you notice that God doesn't ask to be healed. Like, it's not like he asked Peter to be healed. There was no request made here. He just wanted some change to get through the day and actually ends up having this encounter that changes his entire life. And this says so much about how Jesus and the gospel and grace works. We could camp out here for a long time, but a, quick, a few quick things. Um, grace doesn't wait for an invitation, thankfully, right? Like, grace invades. Grace finds this guy. He wasn't looking to be healed, and it comes to him. Um, the power of Christ comes to him. He hasn't deserved it. He hasn't earned it. And yet, also, the guy didn't seem to expect that this was going to happen. When it comes to the power of Jesus and the power of God, what are you expecting it to do? I know for me, often I can um, seek too little and have my expectations too low when it comes to the power of Jesus. And here we see grace can do more than we can imagine. It's also a miracle, and, and when I speak and teach on miracles like this, I remember myself when I first started coming to church, and I remember I was a skeptic and an agnostic, and I would have read a miracle like this and been like, this is a non-starter, all right? Um, I just like, uh, I cannot believe this. I don't have, this is not a sermon on miracles, uh, but I would love to talk to you if, if you've got a question about miracles. I think it's helpful to think I'm not going there, but just come talk to me about miracles uh, if you want to talk about miracles. Uh, we can note this. Um, this happens. It grabs the attention of everyone around. 
And then Peter uses this as an opportunity to say, this is the power of Jesus at work. This isn't a neat little magic trick. This is to show you and point you to the one who can bring this kind of healing and will ultimately bring this kind of healing uh, to everyone who trusts in him. All right, and so people hear this message and believe, right? Thousands, not just a few people, thousands believe this. We're told over these chapters that it goes from 3,000 to 5,000. So the, the followers, the church is growing, um, but not everyone believes, right? So we've seen the power of Jesus. We've seen that um, it can bring healing and joy. We, we've seen that uh, we need to have an encounter with it. Let's, let's consider now kind of the boldness of believers. And, and as we see that, let's see, first of all, there's this opposition, right? Thousands are believing, but there's some who are opposed. Chapter 4, verse 5, you see that the authorities there are like, hey, Peter and John, we're going to need you guys to come in and talk about this. Like, what is going on? Like, the, you guys disturbed the evening worship service the other night. We've heard a lot of things. Like, what is going on? And so they bring... Peter and John in, and they want to have a talk with him, like, what's happening here? And they say, hey, you got to stop this. You can't teach or preach in Jesus' name anymore. And this opposition does not seem to surprise them. And, and we shouldn't be surprised if we face opposition for some of the things that we say. We, we shouldn't be surprised when um, we find opposition among our own family members sometimes or among our neighbors or among those that we work with or those in our classrooms at school. They're, they're going to be opposed to what we say at times when we're speaking the truths of Jesus and living out the truths. And, they're, and my, a lot of times it's going to feel like they're actually opposed to us personally. Um, they weren't surprised by it in Acts 4. We shouldn't be surprised by it right now. I would imagine one of the reasons they weren't surprised by it is because their teacher had told them to expect it. Right, Like opposition is to be expected. He said, hey, guess what? Guys, uh, servants aren't above their masters. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when you are reviled and when you are persecuted. So they knew that this was going to come. They weren't shocked by it, and we shouldn't. Like when people oppose us or like stand against us or say like, hey, oh, you can't be here if that's what you believe, like that shouldn't shock us or surprise us. Um, he, he said it would happen. Uh, he said we would have enemies. And he said how we should treat our enemies, right? He said, hey, guys, you're going to have enemies, and you know, you know how to treat them? Love them. Pray for them. Bless them. Like, that's how you're supposed to treat your enemies. So they've got this uh, opposition. The question is not if, but actually how. The question is how do we respond to opposition? Let's look at a couple passages here that show us how we respond to opposition. First, when they bring them in, notice what they, uh, they say about Peter and John. So they want to talk about what went down. They bring them in and, and notice their observations. Luke says, uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Right? Like something nuts went down. And they're trying to figure it out. And they bring these guys in, and they're like, these guys look kind of ordinary. Like, they, they don't seem to have the, the eloquence or the education. Like, how did they pull this off, right? But then they notice they had been with Jesus. 
I think that's important for us to hear. Um, there's probably few cities in the world, really, if any, that have more terminal degrees than the city we live in, right? We can all agree that there is a propensity to worship education in our culture, in our context. Um, and, and we need to acknowledge that in some ways, um, education in and of itself can just make us more clever in pursuing injustice and evil, right? Um, What's noticed here is that their power doesn't come from degrees. It, it comes from discipleship. Their power comes from spending time with Jesus. Hey, I'm a fan of education. I'm 43 years old. I still go to a class. All right, I'm still in school. But our, our power is in our discipleship, in spending time with Christ. That's what was recognized in these guys. And so they recognize uh, who they've been with, but they still say, hey, you can't teach in this guy's name. Obviously, Christ is the reason for your power, and so we're going to have to ask you to stop teaching in his name. And so uh, listen to what Peter and John say as a matter of response. They say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. All right, notice what they don't say. They, they, this, is not, this is what doesn't happen. When they're confronted and told to, to stop doing this, they don't go, how dare you? What gives you the right to ask? Like, there's no outrage or indignation here. Um, and I'm incredibly thankful for all those who labor for religious liberty and religious tolerance. And that is a worthwhile effort. Uh, there are many in our church that do that. And I think it's good for our society, good for our country to make sure we have the freedom to worship. At the same time, I think we can ask ourselves hard questions as well. I need to ask myself, um, do I get outraged about the potential that I might not be able to share the gospel that I currently don't actually share? Do you hear what I'm saying there? Right, like, I just don't want to be before God one day and him go, well, did you speak about what you had seen and heard in my son Jesus? And I go, I defended our right to do that. And I spent a lot of energy doing that, but I never really got around to speaking of what I've seen and heard. Please hear me say this. We should be doing both, right? We should be defending these rights and liberties. But, oh, God forbid that we do that without actually just going around to our neighbors and sharing what we've seen and heard of the love of Jesus. Um, and doing it in a way that we're just not overly anxious. This time last year, I returned from a trip with one of my sons. We went to visit uh, friends in a country where the government is um, violently opposed to the church. Right? Where um, pastors are put in jail, where churches are bulldozed, where being a follower of Christ means significant relational and uh, professional consequences. And um, guess what we saw there? We saw Christians who were still sharing what they've seen and heard about Jesus. So we just need to be real clear that in 2021, um, there is no country and there has never been a country that's been able to stop the spread of the gospel. Right? Christ himself, we, our expectations can be adjusted when we remember Christ has said, hey, even the gates of hell will not prevail against me building my church. Right, So um, let's be those that um, see and hear our Savior and then go speak of them. 
speak of him. Um, that's what brings boldness, is knowing that the promise of Christ goes with us. I want to leave us uh, with a quote that I came across last week. Last week I was actually in a class, um, and in the class we happened to be reading uh, a letter by Martin Luther King Jr., a letter from Birmingham Jail. He's writing to other church leaders, and uh, King uh, is flawed, but he is the one who um, spoke boldly for the truth of God and for man being created in him, his image and the dignity that they deserve. And so uh, last Wednesday, uh, I read these words, and I thought they would be helpful for you to hear. I would commend the entire letter for you tomorrow as a helpful exercise to read, uh, hear what he has to say. He says this, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in, in on wills of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that time is always right to do right. So here's my encouragement for you this week. Go spend time with Jesus. All right, um, you can't give what you don't have. I can't give what I don't have. We need to see and hear him. And then we need to share what we've seen and heard, right? Boldly, we can say that, like it says in Acts 4.12 here, that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. All right, we want to be those who can share with our loved ones that truth that's often uncomfortable. Um, we also want to be those that share the truth that uh, every human is made in the image of God, whether inside the womb or outside of it, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their political persuasion, they deserve to be treated with dignity, and we're called to show the love of Christ to them. We can speak those truths, even though they're unpopular, maybe in our family or our friends, we can speak those truths because we've seen and heard Christ, and he speaks those truths. So, so that's my prayer. The book of Acts calibrates our expectations. It helps us see what the early church was all about. So as we build this new work here in Fairfax, we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. I want us to be those kinds of people, kinds of people that experience the power of Christ and, and the healing and the joy, and that we extend the healing and joy to those around us. That's what we're called to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it we see the power of Christ. We see the healing that it brings, the joy that it brings. This morning, Father, help me and my friends not to have our expectations too low, our desires too weak. Um, I pray that even though maybe we didn't come this morning expecting it or uh, seeking it, uh, you would invade our hearts with your grace. Maybe we thought we were just going through the motions today. Um, in a fresh way, help us to see Christ and experience his power. And having experienced it, help us to, to speak of all that we've seen and heard. Even when people stand opposed to us, help us to be a courageous, winsome witness for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.